Good morning, Mr. Dingle. Hello, Sam. How's it going? I'm very good, Sam. How are you? Ah, oh, it's it's a splendid morning. It's a splendid morning where I am too. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah, I actually got some sleep last night. I, uh, I it's like I have a whole new lens on the world. <laughs> it's amazing the difference that some sleep can make. Shame, have you still been struggling to sleep over the last couple of weeks? Hmm. Yeah, I, it doesn't feel like struggling, but probably just because I'm used to it now. Mm. <laughs> Shame. Um, but, well, you know. I'm glad you slept well. Sleeping well is a very good thing. Uh, thank you, Sam. But enough about me. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it feels like it's been an eternity since we spoke. Busy week. Yeah, yeah. It's been seven days. <laughs> I know. Seven days can be a long time. A lot can happen in seven days. A veritable eternity. Yes. Uh, what has happened in the last seven days? Oh, did you see the Google Doodle yesterday, the Claude Debussy one? Oh, man. It's it was probably so my favorite Google Doodle of all time. It was so lovely. All the little sparkling lights and the twinkling stars and the mm-hmm. giant moon. It, oh, man. It was lovely. And uh, Claire de Lune, which is mm. one of my favorite pieces of music. It's yeah. just beautiful. Very, very um, delightful. <laughs> and thanks to the wonders of the internet, uh, we can actually put a link to that doodle in our show notes, can't hey, we? we can, because they do have an archive. Google? Claude Debussy's, is that how you pronounce it? I think I've it's never been De- sure. Debussy. Debussy. And you have to be French. <laughs> yeah, because even when you do nail it, the French will tell you you didn't. Absolutely. Well, I find it, it's, it's okay when you're in France if you, you really can't speak French. As long as you don't have an English accent, you're fine. They tend mm-hmm. to be okay with South African accents. Well, I, I've learned a trick. And, well, firstly, I've learned that the French aren't as bad at being stereotypically French as the Belgian people are. If you're, oh, in, really? if you're in Brussels, the French side of Brussels, that's where yeah. you will encounter the worst form of <laughs> French snootiness. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm just I'm Those seeing all these people walking French around with little bastards. black berets and these cigarettes talking about how pointless life is. That's or what just I'm refusing to head. engage with you. So I, I learned this. So so back to the trick I learned. The trick I learned is uh, you haul out your South uh. African passport and you have that on the table at the restaurant, and that's the only way <laughs> to get the waiter to uh, actually acknowledge your existence. Uh, because when they see Afrique du Sud, très you are from a fifty suit, <laughs> and then uh, and then it's why, like you why know. Why are you white? <laughs> no, dude, they don't care. Yeah, it's your long lost friends, uh, and then uh, and then it's okay. So long as so long as as you said, they don't think you're British. <laughs> that's a no go because um, yeah, yeah, because you know the Brits with their their fracking pounds with a value it doesn't deserve, and their economic imperialism uh, and, and their lack of know, class just come. And lay waste. Years worth of war. <laughs> yeah. They come and they they still come and lay waste to Europe. It wasn't the uh, the, the dark ages were not enough. They still come with their freaking pounds uh, and their <laughs> and their t- their red burnt skin and they and they still come and lay waste to France and uh, terrible and Spain. I Absolutely guess. Absolutely terrible. Mm, more Spain, I think. But anyway, let's not talk about that. Well, you know, and I I love the Brits. I'm just telling you how the French feel about them. You know, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm not upset um, about it. They can come and spend their pounds in my backyard any time they want. And I can laugh at their sunburns. Mm-hmm. Ha ha. Yeah. Yes. Indeed. Um, so I've been reading a pretty crazy book, um, speaking about starlight and moonlight and things. Um, mm-hmm. It's Roger Penrose's The Road to Reality. Have you heard of this thing? I have not. It sounds fascinating. So it's Roger Penrose is a mathematician, I think. 
Um, Unreal. Yeah, well, a real one. Um, so it's a giant tome of a book. It's it's like bigger than the Merriam-Webster Unabridged Dictionary, which is the single largest book I own. So it's 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 nearly that big. It's huge, um, and it's kind of like. If Stephen Hawking's um, Brief History of Time was not quite hardcore enough for you, then Jeez. read this one. It's just it's full of like theorems and awesome diagrams about how actually everything you thought you knew about how the universe works is completely wrong because everything is insane and geometry is all actually curved and it just gets crazy and it talks about the kind the of road to reality. A yeah. complete guide to the laws of the universe is a book on modern physics by the British mathematical physicist Roger Penrose, published in 2004. Okay, cool. So he's a physicist, not a mathematician. That does make uh-huh. more sense. Um, yeah, so I, think I, can't, I don't think you can be a physicist without being a mathematician. As this book makes very clear. Mm. Um, but what's really interesting about it is it kind of, well, firstly, it's just, you know, every, every chapter you read, you're like, oh my goodness, how can everything be curved and entangled and all these things at the same time? It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, you get this really fascinating insight about how physical things are based on math. And that relationship between math and the physical universe in a very concrete way, nice. um, which is very cool. I, uh, I've also been reading a science book this week. I think we've synced up. Um, I don't know. I don't know what <laughs> we've like, synced up. But it's like when girls up. when girls share a house together and their periods sync up. You and I, our book reading has synced up. That's very weird. I don't. Um, I'm sorry. I, I can't believe I made that analogy. That's it's not weird. It's exactly the same, girlfriend. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. I. <laughs> This is like worst start to a conversation ever. Tell me um, about your science book. Uh, well, I've been reading the 4% Universe. I don't think it's quite as interesting as the road to reality, which I am now going to get and read. Yeah. Um, on Audible while I'm speaking to you because I can multitask like that. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the 4% Universe is cool. I tried to read it before and it was one of those books I abandoned. I've got a shelf uh, on Goodreads for abandoned books. Yeah. Um, but I'm giving it another go. It's one of those sort of story, narrative-driven science books where he tells, uh, you know, very descriptive stories of the scientists behind the big discoveries and whatever. That's pretty interesting. But the interesting. gist of it, you know, is is that we, uh, in the last 40 years or so, have realized that 96% of the universe is missing. <laughs> oh, so it's about dark matter and that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Oh, ah, sexy. And we, we are part of a tiny little bit of radiation that makes up the universe. We, you know, yeah. we're, we're a little bit of radioactive noise on the edges and you could, you could actually just, you know, everything we think of as real, as matter, as what we see when we mm. look up at the night sky and the world around us, you could just basically wipe it all out and you'd hardly notice it's in the universe. Yeah. Um, Oh, that's crazy. It's a crazy, it's a crazy, crazy uh, read. Yeah. So, oh, that sounds very good. Mm. So I've tried it again. Well, it is good. Uh, favorite science books. Nothing is a great book. It's a very short read. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember who the uh, author is. Nothing Let's Google. science book. Um, <laughs> I will find it. It's just called Nothing. Cool. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's really good. I enjoyed it. Um, mm. I see there are a lot of nothing books out there, so I should find the right one. I'll make sure it's in our show notes. Okay, cool. That sounds good. I mean, so what's so fascinating about kind of when you start 
I don't know, reading about science and things on that level is it just gets so counterintuitive. Like you, you lose the ability to visualize what they're talking about when you start talking about multiple dimensions and, and kind of entanglement and cats that are simultaneously dead and alive and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, 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 it's so far outside of our scale and our scale is so tiny, as, as you said, you know, we're kind of on, on the edge of some galaxy somewhere in a bit of radiation in the universe. Um, so, I mean, I, I was uh, watching a documentary the other day um, about uh, Hawking's. It's called mm-hmm. Hawking's Universe. It's from the 90s. Um, it's kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. And they were talking about how when Einstein was developing his theories, um, he realized that mathematically the universe must be expanding because otherwise the math didn't work. But he yeah. didn't believe that that could possibly be true. So he he put in this random constant to try and uh, cancel out the need for the universe mm-hmm. to be expanding rather than believe his own math that, yes, actually the universe is expanding, which is yeah, yeah. what we now know to be true. Even yeah. Einstein did not believe it. Well, yeah, to switch constants at one stage as well because uh, mm. the, avail- the, the, the available constant that he had applied at first wasn't right. You know who does Ooh. a great job of explaining this stuff in a way that anybody can understand is, uh, is Walter Isaacson and his, in his uh, um, Albert Einstein biography oh that's cool should give it a go um he he he, you know he he takes the major discoveries that einstein made um and he breaks them down in a way that you don't feel uh overwhelmed by you kind of oh okay i sort of get this now (laughs) why does the name walter isaacson ring a bell he wrote the steve jobs biography as well ah that's why okay cool Mm -hmm. that's awesome i should give that the famous walter isaacson (laughs) soon to be sir walter no probably not people don't get knighted very uh, you've got to do a lot to get knighted mm-hmm. these days or be so, um, a singer from the 80s. Yeah. So do you think people who find this conversation on the internet uh, want to hear about science? I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think they, if they don't, they should. Yeah, man. Well, I, I, I don't know if we're good people to talk about science. I feel like a science cheerleader, you know, like I don't really mm-hmm. understand it. I can't do it myself, but I, I, I'm so excited by the fact that other people are doing it. I just want to put on no. pom-poms. You know? But that makes you that makes you that, <laughs> that's actually qualifying criteria for for being a true scientist is mm. acknowledging that we that we really don't know very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, there there's so many quotes from from famous quantum physicists who have said you know somebody um doesn't understand quantum physics if they claim that they do. Yeah. Um there was a great XKCD cartoon actually um which I will look up now and which will also be in the notes for the show. Mm-hmm. Which one would find, of course, um, <laughs> by going to c.tv forward slash tbtd uh, forward slash episode. What is this, 13? 13, I think. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Goodness gracious. Oh, we'd better protect ourselves somehow. From? I don't know, superstition. Quantum mechanics. Oh, oh, no. Uh, no. Okay, pro tip. You can safely ignore any sentence that includes the phrase according to quantum mechanics. <laughs> XKCD 1240. Uh, it's hilarious. It's amazing how many completely bullshit things have been justified by really dumb people by quantum physics says. You know, well, quantum physics apparently explains auras and telepathy yeah, so and you, and tarot cards. Fucking ridiculous. It's, you know, it's the it, it's 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 one of the more paradoxical learnings from science are the things that we that we get from quantum mechanics. It's counterintuitive, mm. 
Mm. Well, you know, a lot of science is because the world doesn't accord with our intuition. Um, mm. And it's given pseudoscientific freak jobs uh, mm. something to, to use because they've got nothing else to justify their very, very, very misguided view of the world. Yeah. Um, so, so they just insert quantum mechanics now. Mm. It's, a, it's a major logical fallacy, the appeal to quantum science. Yeah. Um, and, or just uh, uh, even even more amusingly, mm-hmm. quantum by itself, you know, which just means unit of measurement. <laughs> well, sure. So yeah. if you hear somebody saying, as in the XKCD cartoon, but dogs can observe the world, which means that according to quantum mechanics, they must have souls. Um, <laughs> you can safely ignore it. Real scientific discussions about it start with, we don't know what the F this means, but just the observation. <laughs> but it's really crazy. Yeah, totally. Um, it doesn't seem to make any logical sense. Um, so, I mean, that, that's what Sh- even Schrodinger was doing. That's also one of my favorite things is people who kind of falsely invoke Schrodinger to talk about, uh, uh, I don't know, because Schrodinger's whole point in that um, that cat example was, hey, this stuff is bananas. Yeah. 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 Totally. So that's part of what I loved about Walter Isaacson's Einstein is mm. um, he goes, you know, you learn about a lot of the other characters that that were significant during Einstein's time. You learn about Schrodinger. You learn about Planck. Mm. Uh, you, you, you learn about Mary de – what is her name? Marie uh, uh, Curie. Yes, Marie Curie. Thank you, Sam. Marie Curie. For being sharp in the morning. Um <laughs> So, so you learn about all of these characters, uh, you know, through the sort of through the lens of Einstein's story. But mm. they were all sort of a big deal at the same time, and they all helped uh, helped get quantum science going, I guess. Um, before you had the next generation in the fifties, sixties, and seventies come along and turn mm. everything on its head again, yeah. like Feynman and uh, mm. etc. Oh. Have you read the Feynman or, or uh, yeah, reading it as the, as the main thing to do the Feynman lectures? I, I haven't. I've listened to some of them on Audible. Audible oh, has cool. the Feynman lectures available um, for download in audio form. Uh, and Richard Feynman was a great orator as well, so it's mm. really fun listening to uh, listening to his lectures. Yeah. Um, so if, a, if, if if I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But if you if you awesome. want a nice introduction to Feynman, it doesn't get much better than that, I think. Yeah, oh, he he is such a great storyteller. It's funny how how story and physics sort of go go together so well. Um, you know, you you kind of have to turn these things into into metaphors and, and think about okay, well, if a guy got on a spaceship and then left and he had a twin and blah 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 people on a train like it seems to be that we we can't actually understand squiggly uh, mathematical symbols on a page very well intuitively but we start to understand them as soon as they turn into stories yeah yeah that's a good way of looking at it and you know who's really good at at uh, at, at at telling those stories and taking complex science and describing it in a way that anybody can understand is elon musk mm. um he's there's a there's a great article I'm going to say it again. You'll find a link to it in our show notes. Um, he's, uh, so, you know, he, he's written some things to help people understand, for example, how the Hyperloop would work, uh, mm. why, why Tesla automobiles have this week um, 
become the safest cars in the world. You know why they have these big crumple zones at the front mm. um, because the engines are so small, etc. Uh, and what that means, because most people don't know what a crumple zone is, and he's just got these really fun ways of describing it and using analogies. You know, it's like diving into a swimming pool. The higher you are, the deeper you want the swimming pool to be um, mm. because you're moving faster and you need more time to break your speed, etc. So he he just has this re- this knack for kind of breaking it down in a way that anybody can can hear and go, ah, okay, I get it now. That's very awesome. Apparently, he did a Google Hangout with Richard Branson two weeks ago, which is really interesting. Yeah, I actually tuned into that live. Uh, it was cool. It was sort of Richard Branson, what uh, what looked like on his island, mm. um, and then <laughs> and then Elon Musk in his house in this big wingback chair. Oh, that's um, hilarious! Eating breakfast and kind of talking. Uh, it was uh, it was good. Yeah, it's on YouTube. We'll stick good. a link in for that as well. Absolutely. Um. So I could talk about uh, I could talk about science with you all day, lady. Totally, science is awesome. Maybe um, maybe we should maybe we should pivot. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take the show in a different direction. Um, where do you want to pivot to? Uh, no, no, no. I'm saying let's pivot the show into science. <laughs> oh, yes, totally. That's, it's far more interesting than talking about productivity. Well, you know what? You sit, you sit at your desk all day working and then you, you read about, well, you know, you read about uh, Einstein. You read about uh, mm. Richard Feynman and all of these guys. And you, you sit there making a spreadsheet or a PowerPoint presentation. And you go, really, really? You know, <laughs> <laughs> we know about 4% of the universe. That's what we can observe. Yeah. We're hurtling through space on a rock that's going to be consumed by the sun in a mm. few million years. Uh, we really don't know who we are, what we are, where we are. Mm. And I feel like we maybe have more pressing issues to address <laughs> than making a spreadsheet right now. No, totally. I think we should all, 7 billion of us, be thinking about the more important <laughs> problems we face in the universe instead of uh, how to come up with more financial products to sell each other. Yeah, just an idea. Just maybe. Well, I suppose, I mean, yeah, all these things are so abstract. Um, and this is the, the, the really great thing about reading about science as opposed to reading about, I don't know, biology or reading about psychology or behavioral economics or any of those other things that we read a lot about is all of those other things can be translated into how do I make my life more productive? you know, in some way, how do I blah, blah, blah. And then you start reading about like space time or quarks or freaking whatever. Um, and you realize, yeah, exactly. Like these things don't apply to my life because my life is tiny. Well, yeah, but, um, but you mentioned biology, which is actually in some ways more fascinating to read about to me mm. than, than theoretical physics, because for one thing, and, and strangely in a way, you know, we learned at the beginning of the, of the 20th century, that the physics, the Newtonian view of the universe where everything was very predictable and ordered and, and mm. could be reduced to a few fundamental laws, that, that idea got turned on its head. We learned mm. that from a physics perspective, the universe around us is a very ephemeral place uh, yeah. where things are pretty nutty and where mm. we actually know very little about the laws that govern it all. Yeah. Um, and but that hasn't happened to biology yet. And Karen Armstrong talks about this. She talks about the confidence that somebody like a Richard Dawkins has versus a scientist like Einstein. Mm. Um, you know, Einstein tended to have a more esoteric view of the universe and our place in it because he was from a school of science um, where the carpet had literally been pulled out from under it. Yeah. And then you had you got Richard Dawkins, who's from a school of science where everything has been bulletproof. There is no 
there is no sane argument against evolution, right? Mm. Anybody arguing against evolution is nutty because there's more evidence for evolution than there is for me being sitting sit at a table in front of a microphone right now sure. or for the Roman Empire. Yeah. So you would, you would be better spending your energy arguing that the Roman Empire never existed because there's less evidence for it than there is for evolution, right? And mm. Dawkins comes from this amazing place of biology being, I suppose, still in the gear that physics was – Mm. Um, pre the 20th century where everything is very certain and mm. but then there are just these nuts things about biology like um, like the chirality of life which Explain. scientists glibly talk about well all matter's got a chirality right which in, it's, it's, it's down to the spin of the, the particles in that matter but it, mm. basically you can think of it as some particles being right handed and other particles being left handed and yep. if you look at anything from rocks to trees to stars to anything mm. um, matter has a dual chirality so everything is both left and right handed okay matter's kind of ambidextrous in its spin mm. but all organic matter all life essentially anything that's alive has a left handed chirality it's unlike any other matter in the universe in that all of the spins are in one direction hmm. and when you change the spin on matter uh, that's the difference between a medicine and something that'll kill you uh, you can you know you can you fundamentally change matter by adjusting its chirality great book to read is um, the Dis- disappearing spoon mm. um, going in the show notes which is uh, a great introduction to um, to the periodic table but to, mm. to chemistry. So uh, oh, The Disappearing cool. Spoon and Other Tales of Madness, Love, and the History of the World from the Periodic Table of the Elements. Fantastic science book. One mm. of my favorites. That sounds um, very cool. But Sam Keane, who's the author, he, he, he discusses the chirality of matter in, in The Disappearing Spoon. And there are lots mm. of other books about it. It's fascinating. It's That's one of those awesome. things that makes you think, like, as much as physics is telling us we aren't that special – Biology is telling us that there's something pretty freaking special going on here. Sure. I mean, that's, that's also something that's really interesting is about how every level of knowledge is based entirely on the level below it, right? So, like, chemistry is entirely based on physics. Physics is entirely based on mathematics. Biology is entirely based on chemistry. You know, these, these things all kind of build up. So you can't understand biology without understanding chemistry, but you also can't extrapolate the rules of biology just by understanding chemistry. It's kind of like, I don't know, you start moving into these different different realms of knowledge um, where things kind of can't be entirely explained by everything below them, but clearly must come from them completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, you know what? Even better than, uh, than the Disappearing Spoon's introduction to chirality, there was a Radiolab episode. We've spoken about Radiolab before. Uh, it's the best podcast on the planet, par mm-hmm. none. Um, they had an episode called Mirror Mirror in 2011 when Neil deGrasse Tyson explains uh, chirality. I'm there. I'm in. Yeah. You've just said my two <laughs> words, Radiolab and Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm there. So, so <laughs> if, you, if you want something to listen to, uh, dear person who may have found this on the internet, uh, just go to Google and, and search for Radiolab chirality or check out our show notes, c.tv forward slash tbtd forward slash 13. Um, and, uh, and listen, literally from the horse's mouth, Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about chirality is fascinating. That sounds crazy cool. Yeah. And then, you know, there's uh, – what was the other book I read? Biocentrism, mm-hmm. which is very pseudo. Um, so take it with a massive pinch of salt. Robert yeah. Lanza. Uh, you know, uh, theory of everything. Yeah. I, no, no, you no. know, 
<laughs> there is no the, theory he, of everything. Exactly. So he's one of those guys where you're like um, – Oh, dude. There's, a, there's a, a, a quote from Deepak Chopra on the front cover. So I'm not there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, one point he does make is that, uh, you know, a study of, of biology is a study of the stuff that makes the universe in a way because hmm. nothing else in the universe that we know of is thinking about it. Only biological things are thinking about it. Um, and so through that perception of biology witnessing the universe, in a way it's being formed because it is just a perception anyway. And so I like that idea. Like mm. I say, Robert Lanza, he's a bit of a woo-doo. It's kind of you know, trippy. Like Deepak Chopra. <laughs> Uh, it sounds like they – and again, the biggest problem with biocentrism is that in the first chapter, he dives into the appeal to quantum mechanics. So, oh, tragic. But it's an interesting theory. <laughs> the only time in which appealing to quantum mechanics in a completely fuzzy way is acceptable is if you are Philip Pullman. <laughs> He's the only person in the universe who's allowed to do that. Have I you like read your Sprague's um, uh, what, – what's his trio called? Um uh, it's going to drive me crazy. Um, it's the golden, the subtle knife, the golden compass, and the amber spyglass. Ah, oh, what's it called? Oh, uh, the Dark Tower series, is it? Uh, no. Dark's, his Dark Materials. There we ah, go. Ah, his Dark Materials. There we go. Have you read I'm, that to your Sprugs? I have not, and I should. It is um, the best thing that they can read. I'm going to start doing that. Uh, what is the Dark Tower? Oh, that was Stephen King. Hey. Yes, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, No, Philip Pullman. I mean, it's just beautiful. It's, it's, they're the most profound children's books. Um, they're, they're too profound for children, <laughs> but just profound enough for children as well. Um, and they, they, they go on this long thing about, um, I don't know, entanglement and uh, as, a, as a metaphor for love. And, oh, no, it's, it's just lovely. It's so lovely. It's, 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 it's quite out there. Like in the third book, they, they kill God. Um, <laughs> quite literally um who's this like really old guy um who's kind of useless but a bit of a dictator it's it's really good it's really really, didn't really good didn't they uh try and make a movie out of that or they did make oh, a movie they out did, of that but but we pretend it didn't happen why wow, was it terrible it was awful it was completely <laughs> terrible it had nicole kimmon in it it just didn't get it at all no the movie did not happen Okay. Well, somebody needs to go back there maybe one day. Yeah, sure. Well, I don't know. I kind of like that they just exist as books as well. Um, mm. Yeah, I suppose there's some things that are just too bananas to ever really be movies. Like they tried with Narnia, but it doesn't quite uh, get no. there, does it? Although they were able to remove a large layer of the racism, which is a good thing overall. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, generally handy for good sold in the 21st century. Yeah, for sure. It's terrible. Um, I don't know when you last reread the Narnia series. It's 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 very uncomfortable. Um, I must admit I've never fully read the Narnia series. I've read a book or two of them, I think. Mm, uh, mm, yeah. Things that were more acceptable at the beginning of the 20th century and now look insane. <laughs> goodness gracious. Just like science, I guess, how everything we think we know now is also going to look insane in 100 years. I suppose so. So what are we saying? Well, you know, I don't like making the show about productivity because I don't think it is. I think it's about uh, being productive in a smart way so that you don't have to do a lot of useless things. And maybe you can spend more time thinking about the universe's expansion and how it will probably do the opposite one day. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> there we go. Good moral. <laughs> if that's important to you, you know, um, yeah. then – the, the point is there are a lot of things that we have to do that don't feel like they're very important. And luckily mm. the world is giving us smart tools that help us mm. do them in a way where they don't take up much of time. 
mm. or where a computer is doing them for us in the background and we don't even know they're happening mm. and we can sit staring out of the window wondering what it all means. Except tragically, that's not what's happened, right? I mean, we, we should all be working less, but we're not. What we're doing is, um, you know, because of these productivity tools, what instead we're doing is we're creating more busy work and administrative jobs and things that are not real jobs. Um, and we are more busy than we were before instead of spending more time lying on your back on the grass at night staring at stars and contemplating the hugeness and magicalness of the entire universe that's what we should be doing but we're not Mm, i suppose uh i suppose it was nice uh living in the 18th century where business meant uh, writing a letter to a colleague in another country and then Mm. you know you had six weeks off while you waited for the reply Mm. Uh, I think we sometimes forget exactly just how how much more we get done in the world today mm. uh, in the last hundred years than we did before. I mean, it's bananas to imagine doing business without email. It's mm. even more bananas to imagine doing business when email is not available, but neither is a telephone. Where if you want to speak to somebody, you mm. walk the frack over to their office and you talk to them. Yeah. Or you send them a mail that's going to be carried by a guy on a horse and then a ship and then another guy on a horse um, and, <laughs> and arrive, you know, if you're lucky within months of you sending it. Or um, it's just irrelevant because you're only interacting with people in the 50 meters outside of your house who are all in your village with you. <laughs> yeah, and and it, it literally is like, like studying a distant part of the universe. We, do, we don't understand today how people lived back then. I mean, yeah. when, when clocks first became a thing, mm. uh, we didn't have a time system for them. There was no Greenwich, nothing. Mm. Um, you know, everybody, you'd kind of get a clock and it was a novel item to have. Mm. Uh, and people would just, you know, put it on the mantelpiece and set it to whatever they wanted. So each household ha- with a clock had its own time. <laughs> And then people started to talk about time in terms of um, hotels and bars because hotels and bars mm. were the first institutions to get clocks. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, the hotel whatever on this corner would have a different time to the whatever bar down the road. So mm. I would say, Sam, I'll meet you at this and this hotel's time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was bananas. We, we have no way <laughs> of even imagining what it was like yeah. to work back then. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't so, know that this has a point. I, but. I, I, no, I like, I like it. I do. Like it. There's, there's a last thing I want to talk about, with it, which is kind of wraps up all of these things before I, I leave you to get on with my day, um, which is sad. I would rather Excuse not. I'd rather me. sit here and chat to you on Skype the whole day. Um, all right. So I think what's amazing is you think about kind of the world before the last 50 years or the last 100 years and how different it was. And what is so amazing is that even without those tools, people were still able to come to some truly, truly incredible realizations about how fundamentally things work without that. So, I mean, my favorite example is, I I can't remember who it was, but the Egyptian, I think he was an Egyptian or Greek, he was probably Greek, um, who realized that the earth was round, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, Mm -hmm. um, who who did it just by kind of, um, he he put two sticks in the ground um, a couple of hundred uh, kilometers apart. Mm -hmm. And his point was, if the world is completely flat, those two sticks should cast a shadow that is of equal length. Or when there is no shadow and the sun is directly ahead, both of those sticks should lose their shadow at the same moment. And he had an assistant kind of, you know, on a couple of hundred kilometers away and he had himself kind of with one stick and just using that he managed to figure out not only that the world was curved but he was able to work out exactly what the circumference of the world is within sort of a hundred kilometers of what we now know it is it's insane um 
Mm. So what's really cool is that before all of these fancy things that we have, people were still able to use their smarts and to figure really cool stuff out. That's true. And yes. how sometimes if you uh, if you just spend some time thinking about it and looking at it, you can you can gain amazing understanding of things or a new perspective on them at very least just with the stuff you've got around you. Yeah. Because I think yeah. we often feel like, oh, I don't have the tools to make this happen. I don't have that fantastic mm. new piece of productivity software. Uh, yeah. I need a better computer, a faster this, uh, <laughs> more streamlined that. Uh, um, but – uh, but if you just if you just think about it uh, and you look yeah. at what you do have at your disposal, you can do amazing things with very little. It's not about the productivity software. Mm. It's about what you intend to do with it and how you could possibly get that done without it. Totally, totally. Uh, just, just for the sake of completeness, that Greek guy I was talking about, his name was Eratosthenes. Oh, yeah, him. <laughs> him. Uh, Eratosthenes. Yes, that is what the Wikipedia tells me. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting. Anyway, this has been fun. Yeah, it has. It's been uh, completely unlike any of these conversations that we've had before. Yes. Uh, but it has indeed been fun, lady. We're cool. gonna, I'm going to have to recategorize. <laughs> This episode. <laughs> oh, we'll just we'll uh, call we it, it a fluke. Internet. We'll call uh, it a fluke. Well, if anyone does listen to this and would like to give us feedback, I suppose, on whether it was completely random or whether we should do more like this, maybe that mm-hmm. would be useful. Yeah, uh, that would be cool. How can people get hold of us? Uh, they could go to seed.tv forward slash tbtd whatever, and they can uh, they can leave comments, I suppose, mm-hmm. or they can find us on Twitter. Uh, oh, I think Stitches got comments. Uh, you know what would be really great is if somebody found this on the internet and they felt like going to iTunes and leaving some comments there with a rating. Uh, you know, even if you think we, we're, we're, dis- we're terrible and you gave us one star <laughs> on iTunes, at least then we'd know you thought we were terrible. We wouldn't feedback. care. But we'd know. <laughs> we and, would still um, do this because it's fun and for us. And we'd carry on doing it and we wouldn't change a freaking thing. But uh, we'd still, you know, thank you for your one star. Just go to iTunes and do it if you feel like it. Cool. You know, or awesome. don't, whatever. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Samantha. Okay, Simon Dingle. I will chat to you in a week. I hope so. This has been great. Yeah. Have a good Friday. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.